Welcome to In Our Experience, a podcast exploring the many ways of living well with Nourish Yoga Training. I'm your host, Harriet, yoga teacher and founder of Nourish, and today I'm joined by Georgie Davies. Georgie is the founder of YogiPod, a home for finding comfort in your practice through yoga props and practices. I had an absolutely fabulous time chatting with Georgie. We talked about creativity, we talked about the relationship between beauty and uniqueness, how to carve space for personal practice, and my personal favorite, the wonders of the animated film Anastasia. I'm really excited to share this episode with you, and I would love to hear what you think. Um, So do pop us a message or an email. You can find how to contact us in the show notes. Right, here is my chat with Georgie. Hi, Georgie. Hi, Harriet. Welcome to In Our Experience. I am so pleased to have you here. Very exciting to be here. How are you doing today? Yeah, doing good today. It's nice and sunny, which always makes a huge difference to my mood. As soon as it's grey and drizzly, like 90% of the weather, I'm just the worst person. So as soon as it's sunny, I'm a much, much nicer person. So it's been a good day. Well, I'm glad you're showing up with your best self today. It is a beautiful, crisp autumn day here, isn't it? Definitely. Yeah, got the boots back out again. I love autumn. I do once I get into it, but I definitely grieve at the end of summer. So the thing about autumn is that it is the season of grief. Mm-hmm. In traditional Chinese medicine, autumn is like the time where you bury the dead and you like grieve the year to make space for the new year. So you're you're like, you know, you're just, just, just totally in tune. In tune with the universe. Yeah. I mean, I'll just tell everyone who's like, oh God, here she goes again, <laughs> that that's what's happening. Exactly. Exactly. will be fine. Um, well, we're going to start with the question that I start every episode with, which is what's nourishing you this week? And it can be big, small, silly, serious. And to help, I'm going to, I'll share mine first. So one of the things that I've been really enjoying recently is the shift from in the summer, I tend to go out a lot and like go to the pub or eat out. And in the autumn, I am shifting more towards having friends at home and cooking and eating with friends at home, which I'm really loving the coziness of um, retreating a little bit. Mm. So that's my nourishing thing. What about you? No, definitely. It's very similar. I'm very much enjoying kind of making big batches of curry and lots of like squashes and sweet potatoes and lots of lovely cooking um reading is always always a nourishing thing for me it always has been um I was always that child with their nose firmly wedged in a book so as long as I've got a good book on the go um that's kind of really nourishing me at the moment and yeah as I do settle into this kind of autumnal thing the the weather being nice is lovely um but yeah definitely I'm kind of with you on the vibes of having people at home kind of hosting, but in a really, really kind of intimate, calm, nourishing kind of way. Lots of candles. Mm. Delicious. Yeah. (laughs) On all fronts. I love a curry. (laughs) And I know from your Instagram that we have, well, we have very similar taste in books, don't we? We've often read the same book or we're reading a book at the same time. Totally. Which is, which is always nice. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm a voracious reader who will read kind of anything that's sort of put in front of them I tend not to be too snobby about it either I just sort of read what people people give me a lot of books I think because they know that I read and I'm like oh great oh I will I will read anything and to be honest the only book I've ever not really finished um 
It's War and Peace. I gave it a really good go and I got kind of halfway through and was like, I still have no idea who anyone is and I just can't, I can't do this. I, War and Peace has been sitting on my Kindle for like... Don't do it. No? No. Okay, I can just... <laughs> just, I mean, I gave, I gave it a... I was like, I need to read this. I should I should read this. Yeah. Um, And I gave it a really good go, but I just, I couldn't. I couldn't. Yeah. It's a shame because in general, I like the Russian authors. Oh, totally. Because they're sort of like, it's so existential and they're so unhappy, but so happy about being unhappy. Oh, and I have, I've, I've had a total fascination with Russia since I was like a mm, child. Mm. Like crime and punishment. Mm. Yeah, but like anything set in St. Petersburg at turn of the century or like Russian history, I was like totally into at school. Like the whole thing, like whether it was pre or post revolution, the oh. whole communist uprising, like get me in that. And I was I was in it. So I was, I was really up for it. And then just no. Yeah. You would be of the Anastasia generation. As oh, well, entirely, yeah, entirely the Anastasia generation. <laughs> um, I have I have revisited that film on numerous occasions after a couple of bottles of wine with my girlfriends. <sighs> it's Meg Ryan, and mm-hmm. who does Dimitri? Is it? Oh, I can't remember. Um, it's not the, John Cusack, is it? Oh, it might be, but I mean the crazy. We will find I mean, out. The, yeah, we'll, the crazy-eyed we'll... bat is just yeah. incredible. Um, I mean, the entire thing is. Implausible but fabulous. <laughs> I love that description. We will, we'll, we'll, we'll put a link to Anastasia in the show notes. Like if anybody, if you've never watched it, it, you need, you need to get in on, on the it's animated glorious. version of Anastasia's life and what is quite, quite a truly appalling part of Russia's history, but done in a beautifully animated fashion with songs. With songs. <laughs> I love this. I love it. We're already talking about yeah. animated movies. Mm-hmm. You didn't expect yeah. that turn, did you? <laughs> but I'm loving that we've arrived here. Um, so I would, let's sort of circle back to you a little bit. I would love to uh, for you to tell me a little bit about your background and how you would describe what you do. What it is that you do, Georgie? What it is that I do. Um Primarily, it's really interesting. Yeah, primarily I tend to describe myself as a yoga teacher when people ask because it's easier to explain. Um, but I also run my own business. I've got a yoga props and homewares business um, called Yogi Pod, which I work with artisans in India. We work with lovely hand block printing. Um, and then I kind of sew most of it here. Um, I've always been very hands-on. My background is uh, fashion design. That's what I studied at university. That's what I lived and breathed all the way through school. You couldn't get me away from a sewing machine. Um, And yeah, then kind of fell in love with yoga at a point where life was quite stressful, as kind of lots of people do. I was working in the fashion industry, which I adored, but anyone who's done it will tell you it is an interesting space to find yourself in and one that you're not necessarily kind of set up for to be there for the long term Mm -hmm. it's most definitely a kind of live fast die young kind of place Mm. um which is a lot of fun until it's not (laughs) um and so that's when I kind of uh decided to move a little bit more into I'd already done my yoga teacher training before I decided that and then kind of moved into teaching and knew I still wanted to have a creative part of my life I kind of can't not I'm always creating or drawing or sewing or um and so it always have been and so yeah that's that's where that side of the business kind of 
kind of evolved from um, and kind of very much working on that premise of trying to encourage people to find like three, four minutes of calm in their day, which I think is doable. And sometimes it just needs a little bit of reminding. It's not about taking two hours on your mat and thousands of sun salutations. It's about three minutes with maybe your hands resting on your body and breathing. Um, and so that that's kind of really where I wanted to go with kind of the whole ethos of the business, whether it be in my teachings or things I share or things that I sell. It's all about kind of creating that space for you to slow down and kind of nestle into, um, which I think is kind of hard to find. We kind of, mm. we ignore that. Mm. I mean, mm. I definitely ignored it for years. Well, it's easy when mm. we're always busy and we're always rushing and it's about doing the next thing and going from work to home. And, you know, one of the things I really love in there that you were talking about is like reframing our ideas about what practice or what calm is, because you're absolutely right. I think for a lot of people, there's this perception that a yoga practice has to be like an hour or two hours every day. And if it's not that, then you're failing. Entirely. Um, and it's so unhelpful. And I, I mean, I come across I come across that idea all the time. Like I'm sort of always helping my students reframe that and think about what their practice can look like differently. So I love that that sort of emphasis is, you know, at the center of what you're doing. Entirely. And I think... I mean, I don't know about you, but even as a yoga teacher, my practice isn't an hour and on my mat every day. No way. Mm -mm. I mean, I'm lucky if I encourage myself to find an hour on my mat a week that is me actually doing something. But standing in the garden, holding a cup of tea with my eyes closed, listening to what's going on, that that is still it for me. Like my feet are on the earth. I'm barefoot because I'm always barefoot if I can be. Um, and I think... Yeah, I think being on the kind of peripheries when I worked in London, kind of being on the peripheries of very much that kind of London wellness world where it was handstands and vinyasas and that kind of thing. And it's fabulous. But I think for me, once I came to teaching and had some sort of degree of influence of maybe how people could could see their practice, I wanted to encourage people that it doesn't have to be that. It really doesn't have to be. It can be what made, like it's what makes you feel good, ultimately. Mm. And if that is a super dynamic practice, then go for it. Like, perfect. But if for you that week it's not, then listen in and do what kind of feels feels right. Totally. I think as well it's so interesting, you know, it, it seems to be a real – I see it as a theme in what's happening in yoga generally but also in, you know, your story as well of moving from this really – quite unsustainable industry and unsustainable culture and fashion into yoga and yoga can still have elements of that sort of go 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 culture but you know you're really sort of drawing out the slower more sustainable approaches and you do that in your teaching but also in your props business as well don't you yeah so the whole idea with the with the props is I wanted to make them they were beautiful Mm. kind of when when I first started practicing it was like you could get like a navy blue cotton drill bolster and you're like well yeah it does the job but it's going to go in the cupboard where all the things from hobbies that never stick go mm -hmm. which we've all got a cupboard full of resistance bands and 
knitting dolls and God knows what else. That you're like, yeah, that's that's the thing that will cure whatever is going on in my mind. And it goes in a cupboard and you never look at it again. And so I wanted to make something that kind of would sit on the sofa or sit on your bed and encourage you. You look at it and you go, actually, no, right now I could sit on that for three minutes or I could lay across a bolster or... Yeah, your eye pillow is on your bedside table because it is part of sort of three minutes of quiet before you before you go to sleep. Mm. Um, I love and that. I th- yeah, yeah, and I think we need we need those visual visual clues. I think a lot of the time as human beings, because if it's not there, you find something else to fill it. Like we're all really good at doing that. Oh, yeah, there's that to do list, and sometimes like dusting the house seems so much more exciting than doing anything that would actually be good for you because you're ignoring that and you're push you're pushing it down and you mm. don't want to confront what is going on there but if there's that visual clue then you might just take that moment for you and kind of really listen into what's going on mm. it's one of those prompts isn't it mm. like when you're forming a new habit or you're trying to sort of shift something often the advice given is that you sort of set aside you know, the same time and in the same place every day to sort mm-hmm. of help it become this like automatic thing in a sense. And, um, you know, adding in the sort of visual element of the prop as well. Mm. I mean, obviously I adore your your things. I have one of your bolsters and your eye pillows and this isn't an ad for Georgie, <laughs> although you should definitely go check out her stuff. But, you know, they are... Like I adore using them because they are beautiful and, you know, made with care and, you know, I I know you and I love, you know, having things around me that are, you know, from people, you know, in in my community. So, yeah. What was the first prop that you made? Well, I mean, it wasn't really going to be a huge amount of props to start off with. In my my head, um, I kind of went traveling when I jumped out of the real world. It's just that spontaneous thing of I can't Mm -hmm. do this anymore. Went traveling, spent sort of three months by myself and kind of begun to think about what I wanted to do. And it was was kind of primarily a sort of homewares focus with then that kind of idea of calm. So it was only really going to be eye pillows. And then as I kind of began to kind of work on that idea I was like well actually if I'm doing cushions then bolsters would be a really great thing to add in and so they kind of became the linchpin of kind of everything else and everything else works off those um and yeah the meditation cushions came along a little later like a little sister for the bolsters which um they're they're great as Mm. like and I think more versatile than we all kind of think they are I mean if you've never done shavasana with your head on a meditation cushion then give it a go because you nestle right into them. Um, Mm. So yeah, it kind of was accidental, but then I think so many things that you do end up doing in life are, like I think most things we all end up doing are kind of accidental or born out of a moment of, oh God, what do I do now with this situation? Well, sort of like recognizing opportunity and being open to saying Mm. yes to things when they arise is such a powerful, a powerful place. I'd love to hear about what has influenced or inspired you. Like there's a real richness that I can sense there, whether it's like Russian history (laughs) or fashion or your travel. Like how do you sort of, uh, I guess, feed that creative impulse? 
Like what do you draw upon? I mean, my family are one of my biggest inspirations, kind of. Um, yeah, they're super creative. Uh, my mum paints. My dad is super handy with woodwork and they're both landscape gardeners and so I've always worked for themselves. So kind of when I knew that I wanted to kind of step out of the corporate world because even the fashion world is corporate you spend a lot of time in spreadsheets um I kind of that that wasn't an alien world to me and so the fact that they'd managed to do it and they'd managed to bring up me and my brother I mean semi-decently we've turned out as, as semi-decent human beings um I was like well I can probably do it just me then that that, that will be all right um but yeah they brought they brought us up in a really creative way it was a very creative household um we didn't have a huge amount kind of when I was growing up, but with everything was books and paints and any kind of thing of it, you yeah. could find to play with. Yeah, my both my grandmothers sewed. Um, there's milliners in the family. There's wow. um, my great aunt is a seamstress. Like it's kind of it's kind of woven into into our family. Like art galleries are a place we adore. Um, I'm never happier than when I'm in the V&A. I mean, the Victoria and Albert Museum mm. is literally my happy place. Mm. Um, if you've never been to the Royal Iron Gallery in the V&A, that is a particularly special area. Um, I've spent many an hour just kind of sat there watching people and stuff. So, mm. um, yeah, it was that kind of like inspiration of, of we were just always surrounded by creativity. Mm. And that's probably where that all all started. Perhaps... Yeah, perhaps there's something about it being not so much the sort of the things or the objects or the materials that you draw inspiration from, but more like it being a way of life, a way of how you see and interact with the world. Because it sounds like it was really formative yeah. for you. Yeah, I think there's an element of that. And I think there's also an element of the human touch within creative objects. Interesting. Like whether it be a painting, whether it be a sculpture, whether it be a piece of wrought iron, whether it be something sewn or I think even in kind of literature there's there's definitely a human touch there and that's something that I've always mm. always kind of loved that relationship between humanity and object and what makes an object mm. beautiful mm. Um, I really hear you on that one of my favorite my mum gave me I can't remember the name of the sort of it's like fine china like little dishes mm -hmm. and it's a pair but one of them has a fingerprint mark yeah. in it and I love that that it's this otherwise like really finely painted like hand painted object but there's this imperfection that's been allowed to remain totally because it makes it totally unique exactly and I mean that's what kind of drew me to working with the hand block printing with the fabrics that I work with like I get distracted all the time when I'm sewing things that like oh there's a little bit there where they didn't quite match the block up or one's been pressed down a lot harder than the one next to it so it's a slightly paler color and it's all got that kind of human human touch to it which I think is so important and I think is what makes things things beautiful mm. um and it's the same, like, yeah, I mean, I love the theatre. That inspires me. And again, there's that kind of deep human experience of that because it will be unique every night. Mm. Like, you're not you're not just going to see a film. And I mm. love films, but the theatre is something super special from that point of view. And the same as Simon's kind of live music, which, again, is like another thing that really 
nourishes me is that that real human connection and the ability for it to go wrong which Ooh. I think is is really important and is like a huge part of creativity mm, like most like most area. of what you do as a creative is sorting things out that have gone wrong and sometimes the most incredible things are mistakes oh entirely I think as well, it makes me think of teaching yoga mm. and how this approach to sort of uniqueness and I think, I guess, creativity sort of weaves into that as well. Because one of the things that I'm always very conscious of is if I make a mistake in my teaching, firstly, most of the time students don't notice, but also if they do, how we model our response to our own failure, I think is really interesting and useful. And, um, you know, that acceptance around, well, things go wrong all the time and it's okay, I think has the potential to be quite refreshing. Oh, entirely. Entirely. And yeah, I try to be as honest as possible when I've got something wrong when I'm teaching. I'm like, oh God, I've got my lefts and my rights wrong again. But it's okay because you're all doing the right thing anyway, in inverted commas. So, I mean, it's fine. And I think, yeah, there's that invitation for exploration and creativity from that as well. Like, Mm. it's okay for things to go wrong. It's okay for you to fall out of a posture. It's totally all right if you can stand on one leg on your right hand side and not on your left. Like that's that's fine. Mm. Or if one week it's there and one week it's not. Mm. I think as well, one of the things I love about yoga, and it's all of those things that you're saying, but I remember when I first really got sort of, I say serious with heavily, like finger quotes here, like serious about my practice. Um, I've been practicing for a long time at that point, but I really was like going with it. One of the things that I really noticed was that every time I stepped onto the mat, something was different. Like whether that was twice in the same day and I was practicing in the morning and then in the evening or if it was like over the course of a week, every time I came to my mat, something had shifted, whether it was in my body or in my breath or in my headspace. And that sort of way measuring isn't the right word but that way of sort of acknowledging what was going on felt really important to me and I guess as well it might be something similar around like the sort of reproduction or like the repetition of making props is that something's going to be a little bit different about every single prop right yeah yeah, totally every single print every stitch yeah but then what you were saying there about your practice is like that's being human Mm. like we're not robots Mm -mm. so yeah it is going to be different every day it's going to be different every hour if you did the same 10 minute practice every hour on the hour it would be different every single time because the situation around you is different Mm. um what's going on is different um and yeah no it's yeah it's totally a huge part of creativity and a huge part of the art of making as well of yeah as you said like everything is different every single time unless you're literally in one of the super swanky factories where all the robots do it um but then sometimes they go haywire anyway so and sometimes it all goes a bit wrong i sort of love the idea of a factory of robots just losing their shit i mean it must happen surely like down down the road like 
the big old mini plant. Surely some days, like the one that puts the doors on just has a fit. <laughs> He's like, no, not today. Not today. Not today. <laughs> Give me a rest. Yeah, like at some point, we all know there's that thing where you're like, why is that not working? It's like blooming printers, isn't it? Whenever you want them to do something, they don't do it. They just so like, make true. that whirring noise. You're like, why? <laughs> you're like, I've changed the toner. <laughs> Yesterday, you were fine. Oh. Poor machines. I know. We should give them a rest. Um, I think as well, I I guess one of the things that I'm curious about maybe hearing from you on is do you experience the same, I guess, mindfulness and presence that you do in yoga when you're sewing things? Like is there that drop into presence and flow um and how like how is it the same how is it different I mean yeah entirely um that kind of act of doing something with my hands is definitely a way that if I'm feeling ungrounded and anxious I'm like let's do that and to be honest for me it often works a lot quicker doing something like that than it does getting on my mat anyway my mat is more confronting if I cross stitch or sew for work or paint or get out in the garden and get my fingernails dirty, like that will instantly kind of drop me in because your mind can't really be on anything else. Oh, that's so interesting. Um, whereas, and I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think as a teacher, when you're on your mat, it's very hard for your mind not to be in that explorative, oh, that worked quite well. Oh, I'll write that down. That was an interesting wriggle. Oh, I wonder if so-and-so would like that in that class. And I think that that can be quite a hard thing to switch off. And Mm. I think a thing that we often don't acknowledge as teachers when we transfer from student to teacher. And you're like, oh, okay, my practice may well be the same in places, but it will never be exactly the same. I, I couldn't agree more. One of the things that I sort of, I warn my trainees a little bit about actually is your relationship to your practice will change. Like you cannot move through a teacher training and have the same relationship to your practice that you did before and you need to be prepared for that. One of the things that I often suggest to them is start thinking about personal practice and teaching practice as two different things. Mm -hmm. And for me, this has worked really well. So I have things that I do in my personal practice that never see the light of day in teaching practice. Like they're just for me. They're yeah. sort of, they're private. They happen, you know, in on my mat with nobody around. And then I have things that I teach, which, you know, also show up in my personal practice, but it helps me keep a separation because you need well, I think it's really important to maintain that connection to personal practice. Mm, totally. But if you go into your teacher training thinking that nothing will change, then, you know, you'll get to the end of your teacher training and you'll be like, oh, I don't know what my practice is anymore. Mm. I know how to teach, but what am I going to teach? So you yeah. need to, like, sort of have parallel paths happening at the same time totally and I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing at all it's just that thing of I think once you've got more knowledge on something it changes your relationship to it Mm -hmm. and I think that that that's what that's what that is is it's it is a a knowledge and an exploration that you're doing for yourself rather than necessarily being guided by somebody else which I think often when we move from 
interested students to teacher trainee to teacher you kind of move from that place of often having quite a practice governed by particular teachers to then teacher training where some of that gets spun on its head you learn new things you explore new stuff and then when you come out the other end it's a different place because your mind has brought on new knowledge your body has brought on new knowledge you're maybe listening to your body in different ways than you had done before because you've got knowledge to work your way through that. Um, and yeah, I think that that's what that shift is or that's definitely what that shift has been for me. But I entirely agree with you on that thing of trying to keep your personal practice away from your teaching. But it's an interesting boundary to play with and often convince yourself to find the can find the time for. Yeah, I I agree. And also that what is in your personal practice maybe doesn't even necessarily have to be what we would think of as yoga. Entirely. So it could be being in the garden, as you say, or, you know, other creative pursuits or cooking or walking or swimming. Like for me, our definition of what practice is really needs to shift. And I see it happening slowly but I think whilst we're still sort of really embedded in this idea of yoga practice being you know an hour a day every day on your mat uh, there are a whole lot of people who think that yoga having a personal practice being interested in living well like just isn't for them because mm -hmm. they don't fit into this this box no but it's entirely true and sort of from from the traditions of yoga, it's not 100% about being on your mat. That's mm. the part of it that we've taken and run with so far. Mm. And maybe well, it's it the is, most like reproducible in a oh, sense, it's the, it, isn't it's, it? It's the easiest one to stick a label on and teach mm -hmm. and put somewhere. It's very difficult to teach some of the quieter, more introspective parts of it because you're probably not going to get bums on mats if you tell people to come and like sit quietly for three hours and just be it's a much harder sell than yeah than movement and something that is obvious to to people to do mm, mm, I hear you on that I think one of the things that I really see a lot in people's journeys with yoga is that we get this sort of like outside in approach to sort of personal practice. So you'll start with the really big things like movement. Mm -hmm. You'll go to, you know, so many people's first experience of yoga is something like a hot yoga class or, you know, whatever. And like, I'm really here for that. Like if that's how you come to yoga, I'm happy. Oh, I'm not a snob about it at all. But we go from like, and this was my case as well. I went from lots and lots of movement, lots of like, I was like, yeah, I'm going to do all of the handstands and, you know, and then slowly over time, the practice is like worked its way into me. And now mostly what I do is roll around on the floor or I sit and meditate, but that's happened like over a process of, you know, actually nearly 20 years. Like it's taken me a long time to get to that being happy to do the inside work. Yeah. And sometimes I still do the outside stuff, but it's that like progression in. But that's because it is a practice. It is a journey. So it's going to change. Mm. It really is going to change and meld and 
kind of evolve as as you do and I mean I was very similar I definitely came at it from a physical point of view mine through kind of injury and a knee condition that I've got and it was kind of the only exercise that I'd been told by a doctor would be possible and that kind of thing and that's kind of how I came into it and then once I started working and was much more stressed it was like oh okay there's like some mental benefits here because I actually don't feel bad when I leave this and then you gradually kind of figure that out and I think we all have slightly different paths but the physical is often kind of that gateway for most of us Mm. um and then you slowly begin to notice the other benefits the other things going on and yeah as you do get more in contact with your body get more in contact with what's going on of course that inner work is going to seem I think more possible than anything else and I think that's what it is I think for a lot of us that starting of looking in you might look in and go oh god no like open the box not doing that and then you're like like, creak open the lid you're like yeah stick the lid back on again and ignore that yeah because that's the easier thing to do yeah it's totally the easier thing to do it's what I still do it's what most of us still do most of the time of like how shall I deal with that today no maybe not today Mm. um but then slowly slowly over time gradually feel more accessible yeah yeah So juicy. Um, We are approaching the sort of end of our time together. Um, And I'm sorry to put you on the spot, but I know that I want to come back to the books that we were talking about at the beginning. Mm -hmm. And I would love to know what you're reading at the moment or what you've read recently that you like loved. What are you? What I'm reading at the moment. I'm currently reading um, Burnt Sugar by Avni Doshi. I'm loving. I've read it. Yeah. I'm like halfway through loving that. Um, I do, 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 I can never remember what I've read. You know that thing where you're like, oh, I, I'm recently? really, I'm really visual, so I can always see covers. Um, I read Anthony Durr's um, All the Light We Cannot See oh, recently, which beautiful. I again adored. Um, that mood, that book felt very um cinematic to me. Mm. I was like, why haven't they made a movie of this? For people that haven't read it, it's set during the Second World War yeah. in. France. In France. It's incredible. Beautiful. But I've I found it beautiful in a very quiet way. It's a quiet mm. book. And I yeah. think often books that are set in war, obviously for obvious yeah. reasons, are not. Yeah. Um but it's got a real oh quiet gosh, drama about it. Yeah, it's got a real real quiet yeah. drama about it yeah. that just kind of trickles away at you. Like it's not like there's a crescendo. Mm. It was very, I found it very evocative mm, as well. Totally. Um, wonderful. Well, we'll pop, we'll pop those in the show notes if anybody wishes to check them out. Um, but lastly, Georgie, where can our listeners find you? Where can they connect with you? Where can they find me? They can find me on um, the joys of Instagram, uh, yogi underscore pod. I mean, unless it all disappears again. In which case I won't be there, but then none of the rest of us will be. We'll all be outside with a book and it'll be delicious. Um, Also, the website is um, yogipod.co.uk and that's got all the props, um, the blog on there, how to contact me, how to book in for classes, kind of all the stuff um, is kind of housed there. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Georgie. It's been an absolute pleasure. And I'll see you soon. (laughs) See you soon. Thanks for listening to In Our Experience. 
Don't forget to subscribe, rate and review the podcast. We love hearing what you think and it makes a really big difference. In the meantime, until the next episode comes out, why not check us out on our Instagram account at Nourish Yoga Training or pop us an email via our website. See you soon.